All right, so here's what I know, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll kind of lay out the basic facts as I know, and then we can kind of go back and let you fill in the details. Um, sure. So, and first of all, let me just say for people that are going to be hearing this, um, Evan is a uh, listener to the show. Um, we connected randomly over Instagram and thought it'd be cool to... Um, flesh out your marathon progression story because it sounds like it's pretty impressive um so 10 11 years ago you said grandma's marathon 2011 was your first full and you ran what was it 321 yeah yeah it was 2012 so i started running at 11 and then grandma's june of 2012 okay and you ran 321 and then fast forward um, last year, I think to 2021 set a PR of two thirty seven something. Yeah, it was two thirty seven thirty six, um, something, something around there at the Lake Wobegon trail marathon. And I'm curious what, uh, and, and we can go back and talk about other ones you've done in between and all that. But your PR to date, the Lake Wobegon uh, last year, what is that race like? What's the course like? I mean, because I've done grandmas. I, I can imagine what that is like. You know, it's net downhill with some gentle rolls. It's relatively considered a fast course. Um, and the weather is, you know usually mild sometimes it's a little warmer than ideal but it's uh so anyways that's uh just so we can kind of compare like course to course what what is the lake wobegon course like yeah uh wobegon's probably a little bit easier than grandma's um for a few reasons so grandma's is always in june lake wobegon is like the first week in may or the first weekend and it's really flat uh, it's a point-to-point course, so think like Boston, but there's not a lot of hills. There's probably like 50 to 100 feet maybe of gain and pretty much flat coming up on like mile 11. You climb maybe 20 or 30 feet and you get like two miles of gentle downhill and then it's pretty flat um, from there on out. It is kind of wide open and you know near the end, like if there is wind, you can kind of fight that towards the end but you know we're kind of kind of splitting hairs i guess that's the the amateur uh the amateur runners always talk about wind i feel the more <laughs> more elite folks it is it just is what it is you know okay uh so basically apples to apples course it's not like one of those courses that's like you know you're running you lose like 5,000 feet or something and it's a crazy, everybody automatically runs like a 20 minute PR or something like that. So it's a, it's a apples to apples comparison to your first marathon, but that's a big time gap, you know, almost 10 years. So maybe we could back up, you know, maybe you could give me some of your background, like, you know, I don't know where you're from, how you got into running as much as you want random strangers to hear about. Sure. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, so I guess I ran, first of all, I'm from Michigan. Uh, I grew up in a small town on Lake Huron. Uh, not really any sort of running community. There was track, but mostly, you know, football, baseball, basketball. 
Um, no, no cross country team, which I kind of wish we had looking back at it. Um, just not a lot of interest in running in the area, but went off to engineering school, got out of engineering school, probably like 40 pounds overweight. Um, or at least, you know, the, the toll of the first desk job kind of, kind of added on the pounds. And, uh, you know, from there I was, I was working in the Dearborn Detroit area and I just, you know, being out of shape is never a great feeling, but what happened was, uh, my older brother, who's 13 months older than me, bought me a Garmin watch and this is I think 2011. And, and how old you know, are you, by the way, just for some context? Currently, I'm 36. Uh, at the time, I was 25 when I got my okay. first running watch. So, and sorry, I'll, not to cut you off here, but if you could back up a little bit, back to like your school years, did you were you involved in any kind of sports? Or did you have any kind of athletic background? Yeah, I, I loved football. Um, so we, I played you know, junior high, junior varsity, varsity football in a very small school, class D, I think it's the lowest division in Michigan. Um, and now they play eight man because there's still not enough people to have a full squad. But I liked basketball, um, was okay at it, never, never great at dribbling, but the running aspect I was always fairly good at. And then baseball, I was a pitcher in baseball and, uh, I liked playing baseball a lot. Never, never really hit the ball very good. But okay, so then you you graduate high school having some sports background, but no like, competitive running experience to that point. And then nope. And then so you go to college for engineering. Did you? And you said, did you say by the time you were out of school you were overweight? So does that mean like you were pretty inactive all throughout your undergrad years? Yeah. Um, pretty inactive, you know, um, I went to the college at Michigan tech in Houghton, Michigan, where there's a lot of Hills and there's a lot of mountain biking. So I did, uh, always loved, uh, mountain biking. So that was something that was probably a weekly thing for me. Um, but I wouldn't say it was anything that really, really kept me in shape. It was more late nights in the lab with energy drinks, you know, trying to do programming projects for my degree okay so back to where you were at you said you're 25 and your brother gives you a garmin watch yep so uh he had recently kind of i think he was like a few years ahead of me you know uh being out of school but um only one year older than me um and he kind of like i think found the same kind of thing like sitting at the desk you kind of want to get active in some way so I know he told me that he first started out by running 5Ks and he would try every time to run as fast as he could and see see what his time would be. And about that time, I think he ended up getting into thinking about uh, longer races. And then that's when, yep, for my birthday, um, I got the Garmin Forerunner 305 is the big red brick. Um, and then I remember that day I went out uh, and I lived in, metro detroit area at that time i went outside and, and tried to run a mile around this like industrial park around the apartment i lived in and i think i got like half a mile and i had to walk um i was pretty out of shape and overweight and so you know i think one thing just ended up leading to another and you see that 
that time on that watch and then you look at it on your computer when you get home and then I just wanted to see what I how I could make that time better and that's kind of where I think my my journey began for running wow so you literally started at like zero I mean um because it's interesting to hear there's a lot of people out there who you'll see uh like later in life have run impressive you know, marathon times or any kind of running times. And it's impressive for their age. Maybe they're like late thirties, forties, whatever. But then you dig in and you realize, well, they were also like really, really good in college and maybe like took 10 years off or something like that. So they have some kind of, some kind of life base experience to fall back, like a kind of a, a pretty high base level fitness, you know? Um, but when you say you were overweight, what does that mean exactly? Like, I mean, are you, I mean, it, not that like it matters that much. I'm just curious, like relatively, I mean, are you a pretty big guy just generally or yeah. What, what can you describe more like what kind of shape you were in? Yeah. And I think that that's an important question because the amateurs, I feel like we all kind of fight with this same thing or a lot of us do anyway, but so I'm like five foot ten and a half. And, um, you know, it's not a great metric, but if you look at BMI, that's usually what I mean by overweight. So at, um, my heaviest out of college, I was probably like 220. Um, and then I think like my first marathon, I was probably like, uh, I'll say like 190. So slimming down a little bit for that. Um, I still am over the 25 BMI, right? So I think for me, to be under that, I have to be like 183, and I've almost never run a marathon under that. I've most of them I've been like 192, 195, kind of range. And I'm like got some muscle on my upper body, but um, I don't you know do anything besides maybe running and biking. So um, I'm not I'm not what you would think of um, when you look at me. You don't think, oh, that guy's a runner. No. <laughs> So you've run a marathon at like around right at six minute pace almost at like one eighty in the one eighty one ninety range and you're five ten. Yep, I think uh, I was probably probably one ninety two the morning of uh, my PR marathon. Yep. I mean, what? I, I want to get I'll, I want to get back to like your story where you started like running one mile at a time that kind of. But while we're on this weight subject, what do you? I mean. Is there a weight? And a, and a weight is like, I, like you were saying, I, th I feel like amateurs do obsess over weight too much, but it is a factor. It's not like as important as most people make it out to be, but it is all, it is a factor, you know? Um, so I'm just curious, what would you guess would be, I mean, if you were at your most fit possible potential, like what do you think your ideal weight would be? if you were in like great, you know, optimal marathon shape and everything. Yeah, I know um my second marathon I was probably in the low 180s. And that was that was the most uh in shape that I've or I guess the the lightest I've been for any race. And I think that um a healthy racing weight for me would probably be like 178. And um you know, I mentioned I have a older brother he's very similar build to me but he's about 20 to 30 pounds lighter than me depending on you know what season it is and so uh he's, he's a little bit leaner than me but uh 
but yeah, so I know that he, he can run a race in like 165, and that's that's a pretty good weight for him. Hmm. He's actually taller than me too, slightly half inch taller. Yeah. Okay, so you started running. You, you went out and tried to run a mile your first time, and and that was in 2011. You said. Yep. And you couldn't even finish one mile before you had to stop. So you were interested in like getting that time down and just making progress. But what did you do at that time? Did you like set a goal to just run a 5k or did you just go out and run one mile every now and then? I mean, what did your running look like those first few, whatever months to a year? Yeah. Um, there was a treadmill in the apartment complex and 5k always seemed to be like, okay, if I can get, you know, three miles, that's not bad. And that turned into the place where I lived. There was like a loop that I could do that was about four miles. And I would regularly do that. And then I think it was St. Patty's Day in 2012. Uh, my roommate and I went to the, there was a, um, like a St. Patty's Day 5K in Detroit. And so we went and did that. And, you know, like seeing all those people and uh, running kind of that first big race with a lot of people was really exciting. And, you know, there's a lot of bad things said about Detroit, but there are some pretty cool historic places down there. And that was kind of my first time hanging out in the downtown area. And you see all the Slow's barbecue and the train station, and there's some pretty neat things. So I think all of that, including, you know, a couple months before I couldn't even run a mile. And then I think I ran like a 25 or 26 minute 5k. So that was, I saw progress. So that kind of like lit a fire where here's this race that I like to do and I'm improving at it. So, you know, let's see where this goes. Yeah. And when up to that point, when you would go out and run would, I mean, first of all, like how often were you running at all? Um, I, I'd like to say every day. I'm sure that's not the case. It must've been two to three times a week. Yeah. Okay. And would you just kind of go out and run? I mean, did you have anything specific in mind? Were you running just as hard as you could for as long as you could? Or were you just, were you jogging? Like, how would you describe what you were doing? Yeah. Just trying to, you know, get the miles done and be comfortable. I'm sure there was a lot of um, slower miles, uh, you know, with the beginning runner, I was, I was definitely a beginning runner. You feel like you're failing if you start walking. And that's one thing I'd say that I've learned is if you feel like you need to walk, you know, since then just walk, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the, the starting running again after is key, but I definitely wouldn't stop at the time. I would just try to get my loop done and I would collapse in the doorway when I got home that kind of thing. Yeah. So how do you, so you kind of did that kind of stuff just to build up some kind of fitness. You did your first 5k. What, I mean, how do you go from that to even considering running a marathon? What was that progression? What was, you know, how did you progress from that first 5k? Yeah, there was a, a 10k on Belle Isle, which is a island right near Detroit. And, uh, I think they have like the formula one or IndyCar race, um, goes out there. So it's like a a small Island and, uh, right around the outside, it's like six miles. So there was a 10 K and I thought, okay, well I've done a five K 
let's go see what this 10k is about um so i did that just went terribly because i started running with all the 5ks and they all turned and i had to do you know another 5k um but then you know talking to my brother he got interested in it his co-workers had run marathons and did triathlons and so we kind of agreed at that time that i would uh i would go travel out to Minnesota where he was living and I would run a half marathon in the spring with him. And so that was uh, something else to start training for. Did you just kind of steadily incrementally just kind of increase all the stuff you were doing or did you ever like get sucked into like a specific program or like, did you ever, you know, how early did you start getting like really methodical about what you were doing? Um, yeah, so for the half marathon, it was kind of like meet the milestones of, okay, I went on a five mile run. Okay. I went on a 10 mile run. I remember the first time I took goo or any kind of, you know, energy gel was the first time I ran more than eight miles. And it was like, I, I kept not being able to run more than eight miles or like one hour or whatever, a little over an hour of running. And then finally I took that gel and I was like, oh, I can run longer. My body needs fuel. Okay. So then I think about that time I was building up to, uh, you know, run more than 10 miles and eventually, you know, just if I've done close to 13 miles, then I should be able to finish the race. And that was kind of all that went into the, the first uh, half marathon. But then, you know, fast forward to uh, training for the, the full marathon. So this would be then like nine months later, I'm getting ready for grandma's marathon in June of 2012. And we had Pete Fitzinger's uh, marathon, advanced marathoning. And so this was a recommendation uh, from my brother who obviously, if you can't tell yet, he, he's had a big influence on my running uh, career. And so we thought, well, yeah, we'll, uh, we, had, we had big plans. We wanted to qualify for Boston. <laughs> so this is my first marathon. And we're looking at trying to run a 305 at, at the time. And so we, we put together um, Pete Fitzinger's 70-mile training plan, which is it tops out at 70 miles a week. And then, you know, you put your end date right there in late June for Grandma's Marathon and cross your fingers. Yeah. So before you even started that program, how did that first half marathon go? Do you remember what your time was? Yeah, I think it was at 144. And it went really well because uh, – I started off pretty conservative because I had no idea that I could run even the time that I, I wound up with. So the, the being conservative was a, a big, big uh, part of that race. And I went out in the first six miles, um, you know, relatively easy. And then when I thought, oh, you know, I'm getting close to mile 10, I don't even feel like I'm working that hard. That's when I kind of put on a negative split and uh, surprised myself with the time and thought, oh, wow, that was that was a pretty good time. So before that first half marathon, had you gotten, what was the longest, do you remember, that you had run in training? Had you even run more than 13 miles before that? No, nope. Um, I know I did 10 a couple times, and I think I did a 12-mile at the Kensington Metro Park outside of Detroit. It's a beautiful place to run. Wow. Interesting. Um so, okay, so you're running, you do the grandma's half marathon, and then you, soon after that, decide you're going to do grandma's full one year later, and you start 
the program about nine months out, the Fit Singer program, or how yeah. long of a? Or like it can't eight. be a nine month program. It's got to be shorter than that. But you started running. You decided to run it nine months before, right? Yep, yep. We kind of put the pin in the calendar there, and so the most of the training programs I've done and seen are about eighteen weeks, and so we you started training in earnest, you know, eighteen weeks out. Okay, and if you decide you're going to do a program that tops out at seventy miles a week, that sounds like it was probably a lot more mileage than you had done up to that point. So, what was it like? I mean, do you remember what you did, you know, because this is something I've been wondering about lately for myself is like, what should, like you said, most marathon specific programs are, you know, whatever, 12, 16, 18 weeks. They're not that many months. It's like three, four months or something. So what should the period before that look like? You know, like, should it be focusing on faster stuff? Should it just be getting your mileage up? Yada, yada. So do you remember what that period, say, like from the time you decided to run the marathon nine months out up until you started the specific Fitzinger program? Do you remember, like, what you were doing in that period? Yeah, and I think um, just in general, that's going to really depend on what your background is. And I think looking back on it now, I understand that I was a new runner and my muscles and tendons and my, my structure, my bones uh, had not been put through these training plans before. So I think the expectations and coming in is definitely always going to be different. Um, but I remember looking at the first week of the Fitzinger plan. I think it's something in the 50s, maybe 45 to 50 miles. And so approaching that, I knew that uh, I should be able to run you know, 45 to 50 miles a week. So I should be getting close to that. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember how my ramp up went, but nowadays I would, I, I have a couple rules that I follow. The first is you don't ever want to go more than five to 10% volume increase weekly. And, um, definitely, you know, if the first week of your training plan is say 56 miles, you should have run 10% less than that the week before. And I, I'm sure there are people that can show up and just start running, you know, 50 miles a week from almost nothing. But to me, that, uh, that is a big risk of injury. So I would generally like three or four weeks beforehand, start ramping up my mileage, depending on what I have been doing. If you're just coming off a prior training cycle um, and you took a few weeks off, you know, you're going to be in a lot better place than, say I was for that first one. Okay. Um, so by the time you get to the start of your training plan, you know, you had gotten your mileage up high enough to be able to start the plan. And then how did it go? How did that 18 week program or whatever it was, how did it, you know, yeah. How did it go and how did it go versus what you were expecting? Yeah. What was it like? It was a lot of volume. Um, you know, I think I remember it just being difficult. There were specific runs uh, on the track that, you know, not ever having done any like track work before you really start, you know, you start to learn. I remember going to the track and um, 
my brother, it was a funny story. He said, Hey, run one mile and see what your, your time is. So I, I got my GPS watch. I run three and a half laps around the track and I stop it. Cause my watch said it was a mile. And, uh, this is how much of an amateur I was. I, uh, like, look at my time. I ran a five twenty-five, <laughs> and then he looks at the GPS data and he's like, but you didn't finish the last half a lap. So my training plan was kind of learning the lessons of, Hey, the track is 1600 meters, four laps is a mile. Um, because in this Spitzinger plan, he does give you specific workouts that, you know, gear your gear you to be able to run, um, the, you know, a marathon. And so just trying to understand the terminology was a big one for me, which looking back on it now just feels obvious. Um, and then, you know, really putting in those long runs and trying to learn to eat more of those gels to, to give yourself the energy to, to complete the runs. I remember on those long runs, just being completely wiped out afterwards. And thankfully, um, I didn't have any kids at the time, so I could go home and take a nap or whatever it was. Um, but, but yeah, that was like a, a real hard effort. You know, you put in uh, a couple, two and a half hours of running, and then you definitely need a big breakfast, and you're kind of wiped out for quite a while after that. So did, the, did it go pretty much according to the plan? Were you able to follow it? pretty closely or did you ever get to a point where you you know just got over fatigued or injured or anything like that or any setbacks no setbacks in the injury department um i was very obsessive about doing every single thing that the training plan said probably to my you know detriment you are an engineer Um, right (laughs) exactly yep so um if it was in the plan, it was prescribed. I was the guy that was running circles around my car in the parking lot to make sure my watch clicked over to that, you know, last quarter of a mile. Uh, and it, it went well. I saw that, you know, I was able to do these runs uh, and I could run them faster. I remember running, you know, 10 or 12 miles uh, at around a seven minute pace, which, you know, that's way faster than my, my, um, half marathon pace was. And so I started, you know, with the youth and I I was actually losing a lot of weight around that time. So I was in really good shape, um, to be running long races. Um, but definitely, like I said, always wiped out after, after the efforts. So your goal pace was, I mean, your goal time was three Oh five to qualify for Boston and training plan goes and did all the workouts you did indicate that you could run a 305 did that remain your goal all the way up until race day or did you start seeing your times on bigger workouts and have to change your goal or what were you thinking going into the race i was way too much of an amateur to be thinking those uh those big picture thoughts um you know i i didn't know what mile 20 would feel like on on legs in your first marathon. Um, my, my training went good. Um, I don't remember fitting or having a lot of long tempo runs. Um, but I haven't done that plan in probably three or four cycles now. So, or even more than that. So maybe five years, I haven't done that plan, but, um, yeah, I think, I think that the, I was able to hit most of the workout times, um, and I, I think that at the time I didn't really understand, you know, what all, what all was going to be required. I knew that 
the general rule is you'll always have more in the tank on race day because it's a race. But I didn't really, you know, I think I, I kind of relied on that a little bit in training. I, I know I did some longer, fast runs, but uh, I can't particularly remember all the details about the first one. Yeah. So by the time you get to race day, you had done your plan, you'd stuck to it, and as far as you know, you were going to be able to run 305. Like, you didn't... So you were you were planning on just going out at that pace, and is that what happened when you started the race? Yep, I found there was a 305 pacer. I remember telling somebody in the crowd, yeah, I ran 70 miles per week. Uh, and they looked at me like, wow, this guy's crazy. And then... Uh, you know, you get with the the pacer at the start of the race. He said, um, is there anybody here that's running their first marathon? And it was me and maybe one other person raised their hand. And he's like, all right, you guys are my virgins. He said, you're not going to be here at the end. <laughs> and uh, that was a little like, okay, this is kind of confusing. But, you know, we, we start the race. I'm right on their tail. I remember the first four or five miles um, I was with the group and then, they started to separate, um, and because I didn't really understand pacing, that that pacer is going to run a little bit faster than the pace that he's trying to bring you in at, and then you know that'll that'll buy him a little bit of time. So if we have to slow down later, now I know this that you know he'll have banked a little bit of time, and for me it was like, how why is he running so fast? This is faster than my pace. So by mile ten, when he said, "Where's my virgins?" Um, I was far enough away he couldn't even hear me respond in the. At that point, you know, it was like, oh, that's how this race is going to go. How much faster was he going per mile than than what you were trying to hit? So I think, and I could be totally wrong, but I think that 305 is around, uh, is it just under a seven-minute mile or is it just over a seven-minute mile? I don't know um, exactly, yeah. So if it's like 702 or 703, something like that, I think, I think the, the pacer had us running like 655. Or something, you know, it was it was a good five to ten seconds faster per mile in the first half than I was anticipating we were going to run. Yeah. Okay. Um. So he was separating because he was running faster than you know the prescribed pace. But were you running your the pace, or were you running slower than you know what I'm saying? Were you running slower than seven or whatever the right pace was? Yeah. So. I mean, I, I just stayed with them, and then it already started to feel hard. And this is, you know, mile eight, nine, ten. And he's he's pulling away. So at that point, um, I am I am probably getting closer to my goal pace, and he's he's keeping on banking time. Okay. And then, what was the? How did the rest of the race go? Was it just a drag, gradual? decline yeah. pace or what yeah how'd it go it was difficult uh gradual decline i remember seeing the the sign at mile like 18 that said last medical stop before and i thought you know i thought like wow that i can't stop <laughs> um lemon drop hill is that what it's called it's like yeah. an overpass it's like mile 19 i remember i had to walk up it and i was not happy about that and I got to the top, I kept running, and then I started walking the water stops. And, you know, at this point, my pace is probably like 8.30 or whatever I could do just to keep my legs moving. 
And that last mile, when you kind of double back and you're like winding through the streets there was just agony. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that sounds familiar. That's, uh, exactly what I remember from last year doing grandma's, but, uh, <laughs> I'm curious during the training plan, what was your, what were the long runs like? Did you get up to 20 or so miles or yeah. What, how many long, long runs did you do? Let's see. So in the Fitzinger plan, I have it right here in front of me actually. So the long, long runs, like I want to say 22. Yeah. He tops out at 22 miles and that is a, just a 22 mile long run, no like specific workout in that long run. But two days before that, I would have done a 12 mile lactic threshold, lactate threshold with seven miles at half marathon pace within that yeah. 12. Okay. So you do complete the marathon 321, which isn't terrible. I mean, your goal is 305, your first marathon 321. I mean, I don't know what that, the pace the average pace is for 321 is at like 730 what is that do you know yeah probably something like 730 so that's not i mean were you how did you feel about that were you discouraged because you were not close to your goal or were you like hey i finished i want to do another one what were you thinking it took a little while and i would say anybody finishing a marathon especially if it's their first don't make any decisions for a week or two but yeah. I was very, why didn't this work for me? I, first of all, I couldn't even walk back to the car. It was a, it was a struggle, but looking back on it, it took a few years and I'm like, wow, that's really good for my first marathon. Also, why did I think I could run 305 and not having any background in running? And this is, you know, so that's, I feel like that's something you can never teach someone. They have to learn that on their own. Yeah. What do you Overall, mean by never – they have to learn what on their own? Um, so, like, when you're approaching a marathon, you say, yeah, I want to do this. There's so much that's involved. Like, uh, we just I just mentioned an 18-week marathon training plan. That means every day for 18 weeks, you need to – one of the first things when you get out of bed is, when am I getting, when am I getting my run in today? Uh, what pace does it have to be at? So, just doing that alone – like as a young man, I didn't have a lot of things in my life besides like my job where I would think that intently about it. Right. So that's just the mental aspect. Now you actually have to go out and run and deal with the weather. You have to deal with the heat. You have to deal with the rain. You have to some days get on the treadmill. Um, in, you know, winter States like, Oh, you have to go run a tempo run and it's, um, you know, there's ice on the trail. Well, good luck with that. So there's all those things that when you're like signing yourself up to do this, you really don't understand what you're signing up for. And mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. that all kind of comes to the point where like, yeah, I think I can do a 305 and qualify for Boston, but you know, how many amateur runners qualify for Boston in their first marathon, unless you're like a college or high school, uh, like, star runner and you've been around the block before it's very unlikely in my opinion yeah so after you recover and kind of you know 
get back to normal after that first marathon, were you thinking, I mean, I want to just keep doing this and definitely I want to, I want to run marathons or did you ever get to a point where like, okay, that was just a phase. I'm done with that. I mean, what happened next? Yeah. I think miles 18 to 26, I thought it was a phase. (laughs) Um, And then for probably a few weeks afterwards, um, you know, I definitely said in my mind, like, I'm never doing this again multiple times. But I think that kind of faded. And it did take, you know, I didn't run another marathon for like an entire year. So, um, you know, now, like, at the time, maybe that was like, okay, I'll take some time off. But now I, I always am like, oh, man, I could probably get two, maybe three marathons in this year, you know. Um, but then it was it was definitely needed time off, licking the wounds. Um, I know I, I bought myself a, a an entire pizza. It was one of my goals. I was going to eat an entire pizza myself after the race. So, you know, once all that was done, um, I think my brother and I kind of, like, reset, like, he didn't run the 305 either. I should have mentioned he was there with me. Uh, we didn't run stride for stride or anything, but you know, both of us were uh, did not meet our 305 goal. I think he probably ran like a 309 uh, or something around that. So he was a little better off than I was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we likely schemed, uh, you know, together and tried to to pick a race. Um, and it, it wasn't until 2013 we both ran the Lake Wobegon Marathon and. You know, we, I think we did pretty much the same thing, same training plan, kind of all brought it together. And then that was, that was kind of a breakthrough for, for us. Um, we ran stride for stride at Lake Wobegon in 2013. And I remember looking at him at halfway and saying, this feels easy. And, you know, we were, we were well on our way to running that 305 and we negative split and both of us uh he ran a 257 and i ran a 258 in my second marathon um so between that period like your first marathon to the two or um to the next one did you like go back and try to run faster at shorter distances like did you race any 5ks or 10ks or anything like that yeah, usually anything that would come up. Um, and I had, I had moved to Minnesota right after grandma's, um, like that fall. So then I was training with him and in, I was in the Rochester, Minnesota area at the time. And that is such a great community for runners. It's kind of like a, you know, about an hour south of the twin cities and, you know, the trail system is so amazing that they keep it plowed in the wintertime even. And there's just so many people that are like-minded, you know, you have the Mayo clinic there where there's health minded folks who all, you know, it kind of brings this community of athletics running and biking. And so it's like a, just a really good place to be if you want to be in that kind of, uh, you know, health conscious, um, athletic, um, group. And so that, that really helped, uh, every weekend they have like long runs where they, they provide aid for you. So, and they'll give you a route and you'll get to run with like 50 other people on some days. So having that there really helped. Um, and normally what I would do is I would show up to like, a yeah, they're doing 18 miles today. And I would, I would try to sneak in my own workout in that. And so if, uh, if Jack Dan or not Jack Daniels, if, uh, Fitzinger said at the time, like, yeah, do, you know, a long run and, 
add some strides or add this uh, small workout in, I would do that and then kind of just do that with the group long run. Yeah. Um, so to kind of zoom out here a little bit, uh, how many, do you know how many marathons you've done total altogether now? Yep. I'm at 15 now. Okay. And I've also done two 50 Ks and a 50 mile. Oh, wow. Uh, so pretty consistent, like one or two per year, pretty much, or maybe three a year sometimes. Yeah, I have uh, the data in front of me here, so I can just kind of go through it. Um, sure, yeah. So, as we said, Grandma's June 2012, I ran a 321 uh, Lake Wobegon Marathon in 2013. That was my 258. I had a good breakthrough there. And then in the fall of 2013, I ran Twin Cities Marathon uh, in a 309. And I remember I, I was, uh, I don't remember, was I, I was injured over the summer, so I couldn't train. But I used that 258 to get to Boston in 2014. So that was the year after the bombing. And I ended up running a 318 on a, a warm day for a Minnesota runner who typically has to deal with the cold in the spring. Yeah. Um, it was only maybe in the 60s, but it was it was pretty brutal. And we did, I did the Houston Marathon in 2015 at 3.05. Uh, in 2015, I ran Fox Cities Marathon. And a 441, I ran with my dad, who was uh, 60 years old at the time. It was his first marathon. That was really enjoyable. Then I ended up getting injured. There was like a hip groin thing that prevented me from running. Uh, and that took me out for about two, maybe like a, a whole year of running I missed. And I had my first child Uh then so it wasn't until 2017 that i was able to run a marathon again but one thing that i did that i has helped me through my entire running career is i got a bike trainer and a road bike and when i was frustrated that i could not go out and run because it just hurt i would get on my bike trainer and i would slow pedal and just you know i ballooned up again from having that dad baby weight, you know, and that was one thing I could do to just sweat out and build, you know, some base endurance, which actually really ended up helping me. So I'm going to, I'll come back to that. I ended up then running Mankato in 2017, which is a small, uh, smaller town in Minnesota. I ran a 304, um, tried for much faster, but I couldn't. Then in 2018, I managed to break three hours again at the same Lake Wobegon. I ran another 258. Um, and then the next year, I think similar training ran a 259. And then this is where my running kind of took off, right? I, um, I added this slow cycling, which super helps my legs recover. Uh, if I ever did like a tempo workout and then I go get on the bike and just kind of slow pedal, it keeps your blood flowing. And then I realized that like the next day, my legs would would not be nearly as sore. And so kind of just flushing all that lactic buildup away is just something that really has helped me out. Um, as well as like monitoring my heart rate over that time where like what an easy run used to be like a, my heart rate would be maybe like, you know, 140, 145. Well, after adding all this cycling in, you know, like like four or five nights a week riding this trainer for an hour now like my my heart rate on the easy runs is like 125 
130. And uh, so that really helped. And then in 2019, I ran a 252 in Mankato. And that, and that, that 252, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. I wonder, I was on the, on the edge of like, maybe I should buy the Vaporflies because they had just came out. And so um, went ahead and got the Vaporflies. And I trained for the Houston Marathon in 2020. And that's uh, January of 2020. And this is when the Olympic trials qualifying was, you know, full swing. So most of the folks had ran in CIM in December. And now if, if they didn't get their Olympic trials qualifying time, they would go to Houston, which is going to be like your last chance before I think the trials were in like late yeah. February. And so in Houston in 2020, um, I found a 245 pacer. That was the pacer for all these elite women who are going to run, you know, try for their Olympic trials qualifying time. And since I was in the first corral, I was able to make up like the 20 seconds on them. And that was just so awesome having, a, you know, all these really fit ladies that are just crushing, you know, this course. And I was able to hang on to their group uh, and ran a 243. Then... Then my PR um, was that same Lake Wobegon course. You know, it's a really good course. We had about 31 degrees Fahrenheit. And for me, like being a little bit bigger of a dude, that is just perfect. And I think it got up to like 45. And so that one, um, you know, ran a 237. Never, you know, this is like two years before this. I'm thinking like I'd probably never run under three hours again. And so... I definitely caught some sort of, um, you know, second wind in my running career. And at this point I'm in my mid thirties and I, you know, I figured out that like all the pieces kind of started coming together. You know, I, I would look at like someone like Scott Fobble and look at his Boston data that he had on Strava and you look at his heart rate data and you see, wow, he ran a 209 in Boston and his heart rate is like in the one forties, like he might've gotten into the one sixties near the end. So you really start to understand that these elite athletes, like they have so much endurance that in a marathon, they're not actually taxing their cardio system. It's definitely like more muscular, lactic, skeletal kind of thing um, and fueling. And so that just realizing that helped me double down on doing all this cycling, which just supplements my running. Now we're talking amateur running here does everyone have the 15 hours in a week that it would take to, you know, cycle, uh, easy cycle at night or whatever, and then, you know, get in one to two hours running most days. That's, that's a lot, but you know, what, what is important to you? I was obsessed with running uh, a fast marathon. So those are kind of the things that helped me put that together. So, other than the addition of the cycling, um, was there anything else significant that changed over those years that kind of, you know, helped you improve, do you think? I was um, able to keep my weight in check a little more. I was probably floating around, you know, 185 to 190 compared to being in the mid to upper 190s. And, you know, we, we talked about that power to weight ratios. If you think about like Tour de France, like those guys are, it's a really big deal for them. So it also is a small deal 
for an amateur runner. Now, I do think that with all this base endurance that I had, my body can, would kind of overcome the little extra weight that I had. But one of the other things that I did was um, I've got the Jack Daniels Q2 or 2Q uh, training plan, which is like a max of like 85 miles a week. And that was the two or three training cycles where I, I really started getting back under three hours. Uh, I was using that. And I think what it is in his workouts, um, he has those long tempo runs. Like a lot of times, um, you know, I'm not giving his plan away completely because I do believe uh, if you're interested, you should buy his book or buy it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these things aren't like out there for free, but you know, when he has you do like a lot more faster than marathon pace miles and um, you know, those are like the tempo runs midweek. And then a lot of his long runs, you know, compared to Fitzinger where it's like, go run 22 miles. Uh, Jack Daniels is not going to have you do that. He's going to have you go run, uh, 18 miles with, um, like 10 of those miles being at half marathon pace and then mixed in, um, like, you know, a, a recovery mile in between, you know, breaks it in half kind of thing. So, and I've heard people on your podcast say that before, um, these long tempo runs really kind of help gear you towards the marathon. Yeah. Um, backing up to your second marathon at Wobegon where you broke three hours for the first time. I mean, that's a really big jump from your first to second marathon. And you said you basically did the same plan as the first one. Did you have the same goal and everything and, or all your workouts geared toward the same goal pace as the first one, like the 305. It was just a better result just having done it before, yep. or did you change anything the second time? I think um, it wasn't a lot that changed. It was the same training plan. One thing that changed was me. My, my body got more used to doing these long runs, you know, like, it, let's say you like take a year off of running and you start running again, you're going to be in a lot better shape than, you know, your, your muscles and your body like has adapted from whatever training you've done before. So compared to like your first time coming into a training plan, the second time, like your, your body's more ready. And that's something that there's no getting around in my experience. Right. But, you know, I, I think just being able to hit the workouts and, I was doing a lot of the training with a training partner and very underrated. Um, having, having someone even just to meet you at a specific time, right. That helps you get, get you out the door for me. It does anyway. Then not to mention someone that's like a similar pace, similar goal. And like, you know, this mile he's leading the next mile you're leading or, you know, the next interval they're leading. So I think that's one thing that really helps is being around people that, um, are committed to doing something similar. And then the other factor was the weather. So grandma's is always in June and I'm always afraid to do grandma's because Minnesota in June can be pretty brutal, but thankfully uh, Duluth is on Lake Superior, which typically is, you know, a little cooler. So I think um, that's beneficial, but you know, Anywhere else in Minnesota in June, you probably don't want to run a marathon just because it can be so warm. And Lake Wobegon, 
is in, like I said, the first week of May and the temperatures were perfect on race day. And I want to say we might've even had like a, a slight tailwind, not anything crazy, but maybe like five miles an hour. And that just made the first half of that race, uh, you know, enjoyable. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm curious, you know, you started this whole thing with, uh, wanting to qualify for Boston and then you did with your second marathon you said you did Boston in 2014. What was your, uh, what's your take on Boston? Would you do it again? Is it a, I mean, what do you think of the course and the events, the experience overall? Like what was your takeaway? Boston is an amazing, uh, race. It's an amazing place. Um, for the running community, right? It's, it's like, it's just a huge, huge thing. It's a huge accomplishment to qualify for Boston. Um, so I was ecstatic. Um, you know, like never having been to Boston, this was my introduction was getting to run, you know, the course. Um, and you know, just running the race, it's, it's kind of like a love hate for me. So I had a really tough day on the course but at the same time like it's such a cool experience you know um going through like wellesley college everyone says it's so loud but like you know if you've been to a concert and you're kind of standing by a speaker and almost nothing is audible that's what it was like running through the wellesley college area because it was people just screaming at the top of their lungs um and you know if you've watched one thing that i like to do is i like to watch all the previous marathons maybe running on the treadmill for some reason it just gets my blood pumping and so i'd seen so many of these boston marathons where you know this historic thing like ryan hall runs a 304 58 like you know that's kind of what was going through my mind and what i pictured in boston and so being able to run the streets it was it was amazing now unfortunately um for a lot of people that live in the midwest where it's cold or especially a state like minnesota there, in even Michigan, there's not a lot of great days to be training outside to set yourself up for a, a good, strong Boston marathon. And so that's kind of what happened to me where, you know, I got to mile 10 and I felt like I was overcommitted. And by mile 18, I think I was like just thinking of all the people that were that were uh, watching online, like following my tracking. Like I can't start walking because these people are you know, I told them I was doing this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, love Boston. I would definitely and go back. The big thing I've always heard about it is the downhill. You have to be careful on the down, like the first, whatever, 15 or so miles is mostly downhill. And that's what'll get you more so than the uphills later in the race. Is that, would you agree with that? Or what, what do you think about the course? Like how difficult or what, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, and I think that's that's a great question. The the course, like, I'm the type of guy who overanalyzes the course, right? I, I literally would have the spreadsheet for every mile and its elevation gain, and I would think crazily about, you know, how we're going through this course mile by mile. But I think it's it's generally accurate what people say. You definitely need to hold back in the early miles, and it's very difficult because you're in Boston, there's a bunch of people there. It's downhill. It feels easy. And so that's pretty much what happened to me where I, I overcommitted in the first half. The sun came out and got a little warm and I had a bad time. But those hills in the second half, 
they're real. Um, and this is going a little bit deeper about running hills than just Boston. But one thing is like, if you have hills, train on them and practice running on them. If you do that and you work those into like your, you know, maybe a tempo run where you have to climb a hill, like you shouldn't have to think specifically about hills uh, in that regard, you know, just, just add them in during training. And like, it's just like the fear of the hills is way worse than the actual hill, you know? And so I've always tried to like let myself slow down going up the hill and then really, you know, on the downhill, try to like recover, breathe more, let your heart rate come down. And that was my experience in, in Boston and other races uh, since then is like, you know, just, just have a plan, execute the plan, try not to worry too much about it. But, you know, there, there's a lot, plenty of marathons or races out there where there's many more tougher obstacles than the Newton Hills. Um, but when you are on the edge of like your PR or you're watching the professionals, you know, run the Newton Hills, it, it definitely can make or break people's marathon. Like if you didn't train for the uphill, you know, if you're, if you're not running downhills and your quads aren't prepared to run downhills, um, the, the best thing I would say about that is go listen to, um, the morning shakeout with Mel Rojas talking about, um, Boston and her, like, I think it was 2021 to 2020 and how her, her preparation was. I found that she, she really talked about that very well. And I learned a lot from her. So check that out. Okay. Um, you got time for a few more here? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, just let me know if you have a hard out time you need to cut off, but, uh, I got a few more here. We could wrap up, but, um, sticking on Boston for a second. What about the logistical situation? Cause I've always imagined it being a complete nightmare. And I've heard people talking about like having to wake up at 3 AM to catch a bus and then like stand in like a herd of cattle for like two hours waiting to get to the start and that kind of thing. And I've always thought, even if I qualified for Boston, I've never thought I'd want to do it unless I was like an elite runner getting special treatment with bathrooms near the start line, all that kind of thing. I mean, how difficult were the logistics of race day and even like day before? Yeah. And so you've run grandma. So you, you kind of have a little bit of an idea of this, right? So it's, I would say it's pretty similar to grandma's just a lot more people and you're in a big city. Um, any race, the logistics are always like my number one, like, okay, how is this going to work? You know, it's like, could I really find an Uber at 5 a.m.? <laughs> That's like always, you know. So I like to try to plan accordingly. But unfortunately for Boston, you know, everybody pretty much has to do the same thing. And, you know, there is there is a really good starting area. So like when they bus you in from the finish to the start, there's like a big village there where there's plenty of porta potties and there's water and there's people. Um, you know, I imagine the years where the weather, like it, it's raining. I've seen pictures where it's just, you're standing in mud and your nice shoes and you might have to be there for two hours. Um, but you know what happens is you get to the first mile and you forget about all of that. You don't even think about that at all. And so there's probably some scientific thing where like, 
you look at, oh, well, this runner was trying to run a three-hour marathon. Before the marathon, we had them walking around and, you know, traipsing through the mud for two hours that you could say, oh, that cost them two minutes of time. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, I think that just like those hills, um, it's well well worth the effort, right? We're not going to stop running the, the race at mile 18 because we've got some hills in the middle. Yeah, Try to put right. maybe a more positive spin on it. One one thing that I did was, uh, and actually I should, I should, I wanted to bring this up, was one thing that's definitely gotten stronger throughout my running career is just my mentality, you know? Uh, I've always been, I'd always been the guy who's like, oh, this is getting hard, uh, impending doom. I'm, I just need to stop because this doesn't feel good. But what you find out is you just flip that mentality and you try to put some sort of positive thing on it. Remember why you're out there running. Remember um, what you're doing this for. That really helps um, keep a positive attitude. And I would say from, you know, my early days of marathoning where I just was breaking three hours to, um, you know, now I've done something where I, I didn't think was possible running under 240. Um, and I even have goals for, you know, breaking 235 in the next year or two. But like having that strong mentality and just being able to do things that you might not think your body can do. And then trying to just assess the situation like, oh, my legs are getting sore. You know, every like the first half of every marathon to me, I don't I don't think is ever like some time where you're, you're feeling like warm and comfortable, like you're, you know, you're sitting on the couch it's always like, I hope that I feel better in a few miles. I hope that I feel better in a few miles. And then what ends up happening is if you can be patient enough, eventually you'll get to mile 20, you get to mile 22 where it actually gets really hard. And that's when you, you really, you know, you really can dig deep and you can put yourself through some pain for maybe 20, 30 last minutes of the race. And then you can do something that you didn't think was possible. Yeah. Um, so what are you thinking now? I mean, you ran, your PR was a little over a year ago. Um, and I think you mentioned offline that you, did you do Detroit marathon last fall or what's, what's been happening since last, uh, Wobegon race? Yeah. So, um, one thing is I moved back to the state of Michigan, mostly to be by my family. I know I was listening to you and your brother in the two episodes ago and you mentioned you have three kids now. I also now have three children. So being close to the grandparents is a big thing for us. So now we're back here in Michigan. So I was signed up for the free press marathon. Um, and I did run, um, something did not feel right at about, um, you know, mile five or six. I was, I, my goal had been to run sub two thirty-five. I actually hired, uh, Nate Jenkins to be my coach. I know you, you've had him on here and I think that's actually what led me to, uh, hire him as my coach. Oh, awesome. And, uh, he gave me a really awesome training plan that was crazy difficult, but really, you know, really rewarding. I felt like I was in the, probably the best shape of my life. Um, I think my daughter had come home from school and I had just like a mild, uh, cold for like the week before the race. And it wasn't COVID and that was my first thought, but um, there was something that just wasn't up. My breathing was not right. And so I pulled the plug at halfway in the free press marathon and I set my sights on the Indianapolis marathon, which was like four or five weeks later. So 
I ended up kind of like talking to Nate. He helped me put together like a, a plan for the next four weeks. And then um, I ended up running a 242 there. And, you know, I was on pace to, to break 235, probably like a 233 if you looked at my first half split. But, um, you know, such a great race in Indianapolis. It's flat. The weather is like perfect that time of year. But so I, I didn't quite meet my goal. I think in about mile 20, my, my legs just didn't have it. And I don't, I don't really have a great excuse why. Um, and so then kind of fast forward till now, that was last November. So I did a full training cycle this spring with the hopes of um, running the Glass City Marathon in, uh, I think that's in Toledo. I ended up dropping down to the half just because, um, you know, I was in, I was sick and the training program really didn't go well. And then now um, I actually am signed up for the California International Marathon on December 4th. And we're about, I think, like 14 weeks away, maybe 13 and a half weeks away. And un unfortunately, I'm dealing with a little bit of uh, an injury, so it's, it's preventing me from running. But I've done, you know, a lot of cycling and I've, uh, I've kind of kept up that, that base endurance. And what I'm going to do is, um, I've been doing like a lot of physical therapy to get my hip, um, kind of right. And when I say physical therapy, I've been doing like Pilates and things that'll like strengthen other parts in hopes that, um, I'm going to try to run easy in, in another week or two and see if I can hopefully um, run healthy, but this just kind of cropped up in the last two weeks. So, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you're injured, but it's something that we kind of, and if you're a marathon runner and you're putting your body through that much, it's going to happen over time. But I think my original goal would be to break that 235 in CIM, you know, like you, it's the downhill course. Um, people go there for a fast time, which is why I signed up for it, but, um, you know, now I kind of just have to reset my expectations that I thought with a full 18 weeks, I could probably come close to my PR. And now, you know, I just will have to see how the workouts go once I get back into it. And I think the main thing I'm going to try to do is just focus on not being overweight when I start the training plan or, you know, get back into it. So really that's always been a struggle for me. So, yeah. Um, all right, so I have two more specific questions in mind, but uh, if you are you good for another five or so minutes? Don't want to hold you up from anything. Or... No, we're good. Um, so the first one is to follow up on the injury point you just made, um, or you mentioned that you, you're dealing with an injury now. Over the course of you know the past ten years or so, what the times you've gotten injured, like when that's happened, have you been able to like identify a specific, like, Oh, that, like I did this workout and, or whatever. Can you like identify a specific like cause and effect of how you got injured or has it usually just been like a general, like overuse more of a ambiguous, like, I don't really know exactly what caused it or how do you, how do you diagnose, you know, or have you been able to diagnose injuries? or the so, reasons for injuries in the past? Great, great question. And I think it, some of them I have and some of them I haven't. Um, like, for example, like right when I moved to Minnesota, I had been running that like 
you know, 70 mile a week plan. And I, I had to have like my appendix out and take two weeks off of running. And then what I thought was, you know, I took two weeks off. I thought I could just jump right back into it. So I ended up trying to go on like a 20 mile run my first day back and the, that evening, both my Achilles were bothering me. And so that one is pretty obvious, right? And that's kind of where that no more than 10% uh, a week. Um, and it wasn't just that run. I think I ended up getting almost 80 miles that week. And then it was pretty obvious that, oh, I've made a mistake here. So that cost me, I think the rest of that marathon cycle, just resting. Um, there's a few things that have also cropped up. Like um, I feel like runners uh, need to get to know their IT band and uh, stretching their IT band. So there's one thing that always happens to me is in the side of my knee, I'll feel like come on maybe like two miles into the run. And for the longest time I would just run through it. And I think I ended up missing a, a training plan cycle because just inflammation in the side of my knee there. And over time I, I figured out that if I stretch that even like right there on the side of the trail, if I stop running and stretch it, you know, that'll make the pain go away long enough to get back to the car. And then over time, if I just did that stretch like three or four times a day, that one's called the pigeon stretch. Um, I could just keep running. I didn't, the pain would just completely go away. So that's one of the ones that I'm easily able to identify. And now like they always say like, know your body or listen to your body. Well, what does that mean? That means when pain comes up, try to think about where it came from and do things actively to try to mitigate it. And, you know, if it, if it gets too bad, you should, you should always stop running and reassess, take a little bit of time off. So you'll, you'll be much more pleased with yourself by missing a week of training than running through an injury and missing the entire training plan. So thankfully, besides that, um, apart from this hip or groin injury that I have now, I, um, I, I think that's what it is. I'm completely self-diagnosed um, where I took, I think, three or four months off and just did that light cycling um, that got me through that. And then in the spring, I was able to start running again. Uh, I'm hoping this time around, it's not nearly as bad and I can just, um, you know, like I said, do the PT. And then I've, I've taken, I've taken a week off and then tried to run again and it came back and now I've taken about three to four weeks off and then I'm going to try again to salvage this training plan. But, you know, like if, if it's like my legs are sore, my calves, my quads, you know, get yourself like a percussive massager and massage your muscles any muscle pain if it's you know just achy you can pretty much just run through it you know um if it's i'm kind of a big advocate of the ice bath so if your muscles are sore and you've done a hard workout that day torture yourself a little bit maybe like 40 degree ice bath and then you know the next day you'll even notice like walking around you feel better and so those are kind of like my techniques, not the biggest advocate of foam rolling. I, I probably should be more and I definitely do it sometimes, but um, it's just so painful that a lot of times I end up not foam rolling. But besides those things, um, I thankfully I've been pretty injury free. And, you know, I think like just understanding when things hurt that you, sh you should just tr spend more time thinking about it and trying to fix it before you get out the door. Yeah. Um, 
I know I said two more, but I, I thought of one extra bonus one I want to slip in here. No um, the cycling that you said you started adding in a few years ago where it was like a just a very gentle kind of like extra circulation later in the day where I guess you run in the morning and then you you would do the cycling like late afternoon or evening. So pretty not like right after the run, but like much later in the day, right? Okay, so the question is – would you equate that to like a very slow shakeout jog? I mean, do you think like having done that, that running like doubles, like your hard normal run or whatever it is in the morning and then like a short, you know, easy 30 minute jog in the morning would do the same thing? Or do you think being on the bike and not having the impact is an extra benefit? Cause I'm curious cause I've only ever really had time just with the schedule to run singles but I've wondered about that, like, oh, what a shakeout jog and the just getting extra mileage, extra circulation. I'm curious on what you think about that. Yeah, I think I think they're comparable. Now, I think my view is in my experience is a little skewed because just having that extra 15 or 20 pounds on me, I think that it's probably better for me to do the low impact now, that's something that, you know, I, I've heard in all the podcasts with Nate Jenkins that he would go out for recovery runs and, you know, get crazy mileage. And I think someone like him, it's really good for, um, and especially like you're still building up, you know, more endurance with a slower pace. And so anything that's like heart rate is low, and like when I do those easy cycling sessions, it's probably like 110 heart rate, you know, it's like fat burning. Uh, and then again, low impact. I do think that um, the shakeout jogs are, are good. Uh, and especially if you haven't been prone to injury, then I think that it's probably doing the same thing, but there, you are using different muscles. And then, you know, I think anything where you can just get your endurance, um, you know, it helps your endurance, like, and at the same time helps with recovery. That's why I feel like it's a, it's a win-win. And, you know, now being a 36 year old amateur age group marathoner it's with kids, you know, everything's about these little life hacks. And so I like to watch Netflix. I like to go on YouTube. And what I do is I sit on my training trainer bike and I do that. I catch up on Netflix. I catch up on whatever YouTube channels that I subscribe to. If I need to plan something out for the next day, I'll do that. Um, even play video games once in a while with the computer in front of me. So really anything you can do to kind of get the most out of your, you know, the end of your day. Um, that's, that's what really has worked for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is my last question and then anything additional you want to, you know, throw in or anything you haven't said that's on your mind or want to talk about, feel free. But, um, question is sounds like you've experimented with multiple training approaches you know the pete fitzinger jack daniels um being coached by nate jenkins so i'm curious with all those different um perspectives in mind that you've taken you know when you kind of look back and look forward uh, like trying to think of how to ask this um what type of work and training have you found to be like the most 
important or effective or maybe another way to ask it would be like in the pecking order or like the priorities of things to make sure you get done training for a marathon um like how what do you what is your priority list look like okay this is most important and then because i mean i think ideally we would all be able to do everything you know like if we have time and capacity to do all the long runs the tempos you know fast stuff on the track blah blah but at some point you have a capacity issue you have a time issue you have your own abilities limiting you so i guess what kind of runs and training have you found to be like the most bang for your buck or like the most game changing you know and like how has that changed over the years um just I'm, I'm curious like on your perspective on kind of training philosophy like how has it changed with the different approaches you've taken if that trying to wrap that into a neat question right i'm you know thinking through it out loud but uh yeah i'm just curious what your kind of general approach to it is like now having experienced all these different things yeah it's uh it has definitely evolved over time um you know, when I first was getting into the plans, it's like, well, how many miles can I do per week? And that's, if I run more miles, I'm, you know, my body will just adapt and I'll run faster. Uh, turns out that's not the case. For someone like myself, where like I did use a lot of these, you know, large volume blocks uh, to actually help keep my weight in check, that is actually, it has been beneficial. But, uh, you know, I have friends in the running community who run, 30 or 40 miles per week and they run the same times that I do, you know, it's not, um, it's going to be a little bit for the individual, but I would say keeping the volume high, like has been very, very good to me. Um, and, and what uh, is high for you nowadays? Is it still like 80 ish or what, what's the most you've done? Yeah, I, I think um, the last two cycles, it's probably been more like 70, 65 to 70, and then maybe an additional like three to five hours cycling per week. Um, but but yeah, I think um, I, I probably like two years ago, it's like, okay, well, I should probably run about 10 miles a day. And that's like an hour 20, you know. Um but I think the the things that have really helped prepare me for the marathon are they're going to be these runs where you're running faster than marathon pace for a long period of time. And I've seen that in pretty much every training plan that I've done. So I did Hanson's, for example, leading into Boston. Um, and they, I was probably in the best half marathon shape of my entire life when I ran that because there's the speed work is definitely the focus. Um, they don't focus on the long run, at least not then. Uh, they probably do more so now. Um, and then you look at Fitzinger also running these threshold runs where they're going to be 10 to 20 seconds faster per mile than your marathon pace. And then being coached by Nate, um, he prescribed a lot of things that were running faster than marathon pace and not as much recovery. So again, um, you know, I think uh, not giving away all of his training plan, but some of the workouts that he would 
would give would be uh, maybe run a total of 15 miles and 13 of those miles you have to do basically 800 intervals the first um the first 800 run at like just faster than half marathon pace so for me it was like run a a 545 pace for a half mile then your recovery for the next half mile will be like 625 to 630 pace and repeat that for 13 miles now when i was able to do that for the first time i was completely like i was completely surprised that i was able to put myself through that and that's again where that mental toughness part comes in it's like you're excited for this specific workout today you get out the door you're clicking start on your watch and you're like oh this is actually gonna be really hard and then you're actually going through the pain and the suffering for me i'm doing things like listening to your podcast or the morning shakeout or an audiobook to try to keep my mind in the right place uh, and then, you know, when you get back home and you click the watch, you're like, holy cow, I actually did that. And it hasn't always been like that. There's definitely days where you don't feel it, right? And that was one other thing that I wanted to make sure I brought up was some of the days that I went out the door and felt the worst were the days that I ended up doing my best workout. So don't ever like walk out the door and then just turn around and walk back in because you're, you might surprise yourself which it's consistent for me. Like the days where I really don't want to do it are the days where I'm like, holy cow. I remember one day in training, I was, I was supposed to get up. It was a Sunday morning. I was supposed to get out the door at like seven, uh, which I normally try to do. So I'm not like, you know, on the weekends, I can have more time to hang out with the kids or whatever it is. But it was noon before I even got out the door. And I, I had like a, a stack of pancakes at like 11 a.m. And so I get to the trail and I'm just like feeling pretty bad for myself. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Like maybe I'll run 10 miles. And I'm like, what if I just run 10 miles as fast as I can? And so I think I ended up running like a 10 mile run at like a 539 pace, which I'd never done before. And it was like, you know, you're mentally in a really bad spot, but at the same time, like you just turn that like, really bad time that I was having into like, wow, imagine what I could do if I didn't just eat a bunch of pancakes <laughs> or maybe that, maybe that helped. I actually don't know, but, but yeah, definitely the, the runs that are faster than marathon pace and you already have like a lot of miles on, like, let's say you warm up with like four or five miles. So then the plan kind of has you do like a four to eight mile tempo run. And then, you know, some more recovery in there. Those have been the ones that have really paid the biggest dividends for me. Um, that being said, like you don't just walk out the door and be able to, you know, have the ability to run 10 miles at half marathon pace, especially like when you're starting the program. That's something that this is why I like the 18 week programs is because, you know, week 18, it might be go out the door and run four miles at half marathon pace. And then the next week it'll be five miles. And, you know, you, you really, every week it seems like, well, I can't do that. I, I wasn't able to do that last week, but then, you know, it just starts coming around and you're able to put these workouts together and, you know, just having the trust in either the plan that you're following to prescribe the rate amount of recovery. Or, you know, when I was coached by Nate, like, I would just ask him like, Hey, I, today I felt pretty bad. Like, should I just try to do the workout tomorrow? And he would say something like, no, listen to your body. 
we'll circle back next week and see how you feel then. So, and I, I follow a lot of, um, you know, runners on Strava. So like you had Mikhail Montgomery on here, which that was by far one of my favorite uh, podcasts of all time. So nice work, Joe, on that one. Um, but she's, she's really awesome. And listening to her, like talk about how she would go to the track and there would be like a 20 mile an hour wind and she wouldn't be able to hit her paces. You know, some days you just have to write it off as that wasn't my day and I'm not going to quit running because of that day next week I'll come back and we'll see what happens. So yeah. Uh, I, you know, the, the marathon is 26 miles. I've done races that are farther and done well at them. I myself, I don't feel like I'm a speedster. I'm more of the endurance monster, I guess, where um, even at whatever slightly overweight, even at, um, you know, I don't look like I'm a runner's build, but I have the ability and I put myself through all of these workouts that help build this crazy base endurance that uh, I am able to hit some of these workouts. And then, like I said, I've turned that into running faster marathon than I ever thought would be possible. And I don't think that this is the end. You know, I want probably in the next few years to try to improve on that. So I'm going to keep, uh, keep doing what I can here and try to, um, you know, put something together and hopefully, you know, just, uh, keep enjoying the miles. Like maybe, maybe I did a workout and I, I am halfway through my, my set of intervals and I take a couple extra minutes to breathe. Like I'm not going to right over that kind of stuff because it's always better to pick yourself back up and continue the workout and, you know, salvage something that you can instead of just giving up. So again, a little bit more, just make yourself do it kind of thing and keep that mental toughness. Those are, those are some of the things that I've benefited from. Yeah. No, I, I feel kind of the same way. I'm, uh, I'm 34 right now. Um, and I mean, it, it's really, I, you know, and I don't know people, I try not to think about age like as a limit. Cause I mean, I know it is at some point. I mean, I don't see any like 110 year olds running, you know, really fast marathons, but so at some point age comes into play. But, um, I think people make age more of a thing than it has to be like, Oh, I'm 40, I'm done, kind of like just kind of do it to themselves more. Because, I mean, it is really encouraging to pull up any major marathon results page. And without a doubt, in the top 20 or whatever, or you know, there's some 50-year-olds running like 230-something. I mean, there's so many middle-aged, fast people that it would amaze you. And they're just out there. They're not like, you know... You, you wouldn't see them on Instagram or like on TV or anything, but they're out there and it's, so it's doable to be, to be fit, you know, in your older years. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's uh, as big of a factor as people like to think it is. Um, but like I said, it is, it's like most things. It is a factor, but it's not, it's not like the end all be all. So yep, I mean, it's like the Hills in Boston. Yeah. Right. They're there, but it's not like, you know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that, um, the way that you do this podcast is really good because 
you know, you're approaching it like learning. And I, even after, you know, had running for 10 plus years, like I learned stuff listening to the people that you interview. And I like the way that you ask questions because there's not this assumption that you are a professional runner and, you know, we're not at a specific level. We're at, we're at ground level, you know? So it's kind of like, there's, there's no stupid questions, like explain this to me. And that's, uh, it's been really, really enjoyable. So I appreciate you putting out this podcast. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, they're conversations I want to have, whether it's on a podcast or not. I mean, it's stuff I'm interested in. And, um, the other, the interesting thing, taking all of the conversations into account, it's the more and more people I talk to, the more I realize there like is no, like I kind of started out thinking like, okay, this is like a mystery I want to solve. Like I want to get to the answer, you know, let's follow the evidence and figure out what, what the best way to do this is. But just more and more you realize it's a very individual thing. There's so many variables that you you can't control all the variables and, you know, they affect everybody differently. So there really are, I mean, it sounds cliche, but, you know, um, I didn't really want it to be the case. I wanted there to be like one answer. Oh, I want the, I want the right answer. But um, there really is no one correct answer. It's more right. complex than that. So, Joe, can you remind us again what what race it is that you're you're training for, and how's your training oh, going? So, by the way, yeah, so I'm doing the Kiowa um, Mar- Kiowa Island Marathon, which is Kiowa Island's close to Charleston, South Carolina. I live in Greenville, which is about a three hour drive from Charleston. So, um, it's a small race, maybe like less than two thousand finishers. Um, the past, I mean, it's not a, it's a fast course, I think, because it's flat. Um, so I think people do go there to run fast, but it's also not a very big popular race, like where people travel from all over. So, I mean, the winning time, I think last year it was like 2.36 or something. Um, so there may be 10 people or so under three hours. It's not going to be like grandma's where it was just herds and herds of people, no matter what pace you were running, uh, which, you know, I wanted my first marathon. I kind of felt like I needed that. Like I didn't want to be out in no man's land running by myself. I thought that was going to be uh, a helpful factor, having a lots of people to run with. Um, but it was interesting when I did grandma's, you know, I, there were lots of people the whole way, but I, it was weird. Cause at this, while there were people around me the whole way, I felt like I was never with the same people more than like a mile or two either I was getting passed or I was passing other people, um, which was interesting. So, I mean, I think it did help kind of not being just out there alone, but at the same time, I'm not as worried about it this time. Um, I wanted a flatter course again, just so I can have a sort of apples to apples comparison from my first one to my second one. So I can get, you know, like, a. So I can run the second one, hopefully improve and actually point to like, okay, I actually improved. It wasn't, the course was basically apples to apples. Um, so, and it's closer. It won't be as a big of a travel logistics thing. Like we were in at a little cottage, like literally a half mile from the starting line. I'll be able to, you know, sleep later, all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm training for. It's uh, December 10th. Um, I think I got like 16 or so weeks to go and it's going well. My volume is higher than it's been in a long time. And I'm hoping to just try to, 
uh, stay consistent, not do anything fancy. I'm trying not to over-engineer my training this time <laughs> and uh, listen to my body, keep it basic, and yeah. Yeah, so, it, sounded, it sounded like based on the last discussion that you'd actually ramped up the volume. So that was, you know, after listening to me just now, you can, you can tell that I'm a, a big uh, advocate of volume. So it was cool to hear. I'm excited for, uh, for the podcast and to listen to uh, maybe the recap. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely plan on doing a recap uh, after, even if I totally bomb and it's worse. I'll at least i'll i'll uh, i'll do a recap on whatever happens. But um, yeah, and we'll have to stay in touch. You'll have to let me know how CIM goes. I hope your hip groin thing comes around. You're able to get some good training in. Yeah, it uh, sounds good. We'll uh, definitely keep you updated. And you know, if it's not this training cycle, we'll be going after it next time. <laughs> Yeah, we're still young. We're not out of it yet. <laughs> no, no. If uh, I, I think Kipchoge is still older than older than me, right? It's by like a year, so that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, exactly. I mean, that's a valid comparison, you know. <laughs> but uh, all right, well, thanks again. Uh, this was fun, and I look forward to seeing. Uh, hopefully, you can break that two thirty five mark in a few months. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe, for having me. It's uh, it's been a blast. Uh, keep up the podcast, and you know this gives us something to listen to on those long runs. So, thank you for doing it. All right, no problem, man. All right, take care. Yep. Bye bye.